Larry Bird's not walking through that door. We're talking about practice. Not a game, not a game, not a game. We're talking about practice. It's my team. It's my quarterback. A kick. It is. Good. 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 To be the man, you gotta beat the man. The 2 1. Swag line drive left there. Long run is in. This is the Powers on Sports Podcast. My oh my, what a finish in the Major League Baseball Playoffs NLCS Game 3. The Dodgers rise from the dead to come back with four runs in the bottom of the eighth to defeat the Atlanta Braves 6-5. to five. One of the great things you are listening to is the Powers on Sports Podcast. One of the things we try to do is we try to give you some real-time updates and we are, as we are recording this podcast, the Dodgers have awoken from the grave. And they are back in this NLCS series thanks to Cody Bellinger's three-run homer to tie the game. And Mookie Betts with the tie-breaking double in the bottom of the eighth. Ken- Kenley Jansen closes it down in the ninth. And we now have a series in the National League. Atlanta 2, Los Angeles 1. Game four will be coming up Wednesday night in Los Angeles. And again, if an, oh, an homage to Vin Scully, who was, I'm sure was watching today. What a comeback by the Los Angeles Dodgers to stay alive, to absolutely stay, stay out of the brink of elimination. All right, welcome. I'm your host, Jason, down in Tampa. Thanks for finding us on the various podcast platforms. We are here talking, we're going to talk today on the episode, we're going to talk some Major League Baseball playoffs, we're going to talk some NFL, we've got two great interview spots with, with us today, we're going to have Matt Zemick, you've heard Matt on here several times before, Matt Zemick's going to be on, Matt's the uh, Trojan Wire editor for USA Today, covers all things USC, and he's kind of our West Coast Pac-12 football insider, and we're also going to have Erica Betcher. Erica is, a, is the wife of assistant coach James Betcher for the San Francisco 49ers. Erica is our next installment of our Life of the Wife series. So you're going to hear all about Erica's journey through the coaching world with James, bringing up her children, and all the good things that have gone on in Erica's life to lead her to this point with James in San Francisco. So we got a great episode. Again, two good interviews for you. We got some breaking college football news that we're going to get to with Matt Zemek, coaching news, and much more. So before we get to that, I'm going to give you a, a few notes. We are through six weeks of the National Football League. The only undefeated team left is the Arizona Cardinals, 6-0. Kyler Murray and company go to Cleveland over the weekend and thump the Cleveland Browns, who were really decimated by injury. Baker Mayfield. Kareem Hunt, Odell Beckham Jr., all hurt. Um, Their status for their Thursday night game coming up, very much in doubt. No doubt Hunt's out for a while. We don't know the status yet of Mayfield and OBJ, but a great win by the Cardinals. Remember Cliff Kingsbury out with COVID, the general manager out with COVID. Um, 
Chandler Jones out with COVID, so they went in there depleted as far as the play calling and the, and the head coaching opportunity. But they go in there and capitalize on Cleveland turnovers and play very well and beat the Cleveland Browns to go to 6-0. and Urban Meyer gets his first National Football League victory as the coach of the Jaguars to kind of erase some of all the bad publicity that's been going on. Urban and the Jags in, in London come back to beat the Miami Dolphins 20 I believe it was 26-23 or 23-20 at the gun. Game-winning field goal. Great job. Nice comeback. Again, Urban Meyer's first win. Again, in London, which which is about apropos. Don't even do it in front of his, in, in the United States. So it takes a little bit of heat off the uh, whole Urban Meyer situation that's been going on for the last couple of weeks. Big shout-out to the Las Vegas Raiders. What a win in Denver after all the John Gruden uh scandal and, and firing this week. They go out to Denver and play very well and beat the Denver Broncos in mile high. Rich Basaccia gets his first win as the head coach. So kudos to the Las Vegas for, for playing as well as they did. And the last thing I want to mention is the trade deadline in the NFL is coming up in a couple weeks. What's going to happen with Deshaun Watson? Is he going to get moved? Is the NFL going to rule on a suspension? Is the NFL going to let him play if he were to get moved? So very lots of interesting things coming up here in the next couple of weeks involving the Texans. They are in a complete dumpster fire. They got thumped again over the weekend by the Indianapolis Colts. They're not, they'll be lucky to win more than two games. They're one in five so far. They'll be lucky to win one more game. They are obviously in a full rebuild there in Houston uh, and looking to get the number one pick, in my opinion. Whitney Merciless, one of their veteran players being released this week so just lots of stuff going on in Houston and again what is the NFL going to do with Deshaun Watson are they going to allow him to play if he were to get traded are they going to suspend him still waiting it's, I, I'm shocked that they've not done something with him and maybe they're not going to do something with him who knows so those are your NFL notes through week six again major league playoffs we just talked about the Braves and the Dodgers Game four is going on right now between Boston and Houston. Houston is depleted in the pitching staff. Major injuries on the pitching front. No Lance McCullers. The uh, Houston starters through four games have only lasted five, six innings. Less than just right at six innings through four starts. So, which is incredible to think. The the Red Sox are just really hitting the ball very well. Three grand slams so far for through the first three games. They were up nine to nothing in game two. They had a huge lead in game three. And game four is ongoing right now. So critical game for the Astros, game four. Game five will be in Boston on Wednesday. And if there is a game six, it'll be back in Houston. Six and seven will be back in Houston starting on Friday. So lots of uh, drama in the baseball playoffs. If you listen to the Powers on Sports podcast a couple weeks ago, you heard me say, I think the Atlanta Braves are going to the World Series. And I do think they're going to the World Series. I think the Braves will rebound from this Game 3 loss and get it done against the Dodgers. I think it'll be uh, probably six games, uh, but I do like the Braves to get it done. They, that Braves-Dodgers series has been a tremendous series through three games. All three games have gone right down to the wire. Uh, the Braves win the first two in Atlanta in their in their last at-bat. And, the, and then, obviously, the Dodgers with their four-run eighth inning in Game 3 get back in the series to stave off elimination. So... Great series in, in the National League. Good series in the American League. 
Um, before we get to our guests, Matt Zemick and Erica Betcher, I want to give you a couple of college football uh, and NFL picks for the weekend. A couple games. This is not a very good slate. I don't like a lot of stuff on the slate, but I will give you a couple things that I do like. Um, I do like the Miami Dolphins to rebound against the Atlanta Falcons. I like the Las Vegas Raiders at home, minus three against the Eagles. Um, I like the 49ers, minus the three and a half on Sunday night against the Indianapolis Colts. On the college circuit, you've got Notre Dame hosting USC. You've got UCLA and Oregon squaring off on Saturday in the Rose Bowl. You got Ohio State, Indiana Saturday night. Uh, again, not a great college football slate. Um, you did have some drama last week in the college football world. You had the, we're gonna Matt and I are gonna speak on the Ed Orgeron firing as well as the uh, firing at Washington State. That's breaking news. So um, those are the three picks I'm gonna give you. I don't really like anything in the college circuit at, as of yet, to be honest with you. Uh, again, not a very good college slate. Uh, I would have a lean to UCLA against Oregon minus two and a half. It'd be a lean, but it's not a not not with a lot of conviction. Should be a good game. And again, we're going to get into that game with Matt Zemek uh, here in just a minute, talking all things coaching hires, Pac-12, Oregon. Can they get back in the college football playoff, Oregon, and all that good stuff? So stick around. We'll be right back. Matt Zemek and Erica Betcher with our. Life of the Wife series. Check out my new podcast called the No Quarter Given Podcast, where myself and Peter Blake, we give a historical analysis of all of the Buck opponents throughout the regular season. Week to week, every opponent that the Bucks will play this year, we will do a podcast on a historical overview of the rivalry between the Bucks and this week's opponent. So f- subscribe, rate, and review to the No Quarter Given Podcast on all your podcast platforms. All right, welcome back to the podcast. One of our first uh, chats of the week is going to be with Matt Zemick. Matt is the uh, the editor of Trojan Wire. It's part of the USA Today um, Sports uh, Network. Uh, you, you can read all of Matt's stuff. We've had Matt on. Matt is our West Coast college football insider. and We have more breaking news, Matt. Last time we had John, it was USC canning uh, Clay Helton. And tonight, we are taping this Monday night. Out of coincidence, it is Nick Rolovich out at Washington State. Give us the details. Yeah, so it's really, I mean, the politics are complicated. The politics behind the scenes are very complicated in terms of you know, what was an extended months-long standoff between the coach and the school, but in terms of you know what the terms of what needed to happen for Nick Rolovich to stay on at Washington State, that was very simple. Like the, but now what he believes and how he arrived at his stance, that's complicated. And I'm not going to presume to know what Nick Rolovich has been thinking or planning or hoping. But the terms are very simple. Washington State University and the state of Washington had a COVID-19 vaccine mandate. They they had a mandate. Today, uh, Monday, October 18, was the deadline. Uh, either you get vaccinated or you get uh, an exemption for either on religious grounds or other grounds. 
and uh, the appeal for uh, an exemption was denied uh, a few days ago, you know, earlier in October. So Nick Rolovich ha had this situation laid out before him. You get vaccinated or you get let go. And he, Rolovich had every chance in the world to get vaccinated. And, and again, let's be very clear here. This is not saying or implying that getting the vaccine is like inherently good or inherently the right thing. Cause I know that plenty of Americans, you know, have the concerns about it or think that it's an infringement upon personal freedom. This is not an implied verdict on any of that. It's just that Rolovich's employer and the state in which he worked as a public employee, they had a mandate. So when your employer puts forth a mandate about anything, doesn't matter if it's a vaccine or whatever, and you choose not to do it, well, you are making your choice. You're living with your choice. Yep. Nick Rolovich chose to not continue to coach Washington State. I mean, that is how we should frame this. And that doesn't mean Rolovich is an idiot. I mean, it, it, it just means that was his choice. He chose not to coach. We shouldn't view this as Washington State fired him. It's Rolovich chose not to continue to coach. Doesn't imply that it's good or bad. Doesn't imply that it's smart or dumb. Maybe he wants to do something else with his life. Hey, it's a free country. You know, you can do that as, as a private citizen, but the state and the university had a mandate. He chose not to comply with the mandate. It's his choice. Like, that's fine. It's, you know, it, it, he, he, he was able to exercise his view, you know, his uh, opinion, his stance, but this is the cost of it. The, we, we talk all the time. Everybody has freedom to do whatever they want, but there are consequences to your freedom and your choices. I mean, in all walks of life, you know, this, the reason I'm talking to you about this is obviously Rolovich is the first sports figure that we know of that's lost their job from, especially from a coaching perspective, because of the refusal to get a vaccine. You know, all the players have had to do it, training staff, operations, all the people in the university have had to do it and made the sacrifice. And here's the thing, it's a sacrifice. Do you think every player in college football in the NFL wants to get a vaccine? No, but it's a sacrifice. And for Nick Rolovich, I'm going to call him an idiot because he's an idiot. To give up a million-dollar-plus job as a head coach of one of 120 Division I college football programs, that's an idiotic decision by Nick Rolovich. I know everybody has religious views, different opinions of the vaccine, but in this day and age, that's idiotic for him to do that. Uh, I completely understand. That's a completely reasonable point of view. I, I just think that uh, you know life isn't all about money. Uh, it, it isn't just about privilege. Right. Like So I don't... I don't think we should necessarily say that if you give up a, a, ton, a ton of money, you're being an idiot. But I, but I do uh, certainly, uh, you know, I'm, I respect that point of, you know, he has a very privileged position. And some of what he has said does point to the idea that he feels somehow victimized. Well, yeah, he is not a victim. And so to the extent that he has engaged any kind of you know, victimology, uh, you know, like woe is me kind of speech. Yeah, that's, that is certainly misplaced and we shouldn't allow that to be the verdict on Nick Rolovich. He's not so much a victim. We can just say that, you know, he couldn't find uh, a workable middle ground. And here's the other thing. Last year, you know, he threw some of his players 
under the bus for not being a team player in the middle of the pandemic right. when, it, when it broke out. Right. That's really the thing I have, I have an issue with. Because like, if you as a coach are going to demand that your players sacrifice, and then as you said, you know, getting the vaccine is a sacrifice. It is. So if you're going to throw your players under the bus for not buying into the team concept you're trying to create, or at least you claim to, to want right. to create, but then you won't sacrifice yourself. Now that, see, that is where I think yep. Nick Rolovich can and should be fiercely criticized for how he's how he's uh, gone about his business here. He, he's let down 120 families who entrusted their son to come play at Washington State. You know, all those people, all those families, you know, you ask these kids to go wake up at six o'clock in the morning to work out, go to study hall at night, sacrifice their time in the summertime but you won't get a shot that's been universally proclaimed to be again, everybody has different views of, a, of a, having to get a shot, but the shot's not like it's, 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 it's just ridiculous in my opinion. And, and this is a niche football coaching is a niche. You're not going to find another million dollar job as a head coach. He will not get another head coaching job. I don't think of the division one level due to this stance. I don't think so either. I have seen rumors flying around Twitter on Monday night that he already has another job lined up in a state which doesn't have a mandate. I don't know what to make of that. Uh, and, you know, in terms of in terms of whether he'll get another job, let's remember, Bobby Petrino had the scandal with Jessica Durrell at Arkansas. And then remember, it wasn't the sex. It was all the interference with Arkansas's internal administration with the hiring processes you know he Petrino intervened in that in all sorts of very unethical ways that should have gotten him you know banned from ever being a head coach anywhere again but it didn't but so like I am I am a cynic about coaches doing things that should bar them from future employment as head coaches not talking about coordinators I'm talking about head coaches right Bobby Petrino continued to get more chances so this being america this being where we are jason I, I i i'm not really confident that he won't get another head coaching job nick rolovich and bobby petrino from a coaching perspective are, are in far different universes bobby petrino had a reputation of being a fantastic football coach who was not a great guy off the field nick rolovich doesn't have that reputation of being that elite of a football coach in my opinion well, in terms of in terms of the X's and O's and the credentials and the achievements, no. But in terms of uh, you know someone out there falling in love with a guy and and looking past all the questionable bad decisions and and the the soiled or tainted history, like we see that all the time. I get uh, it. And and, and and you you would certainly agree, I think, Jason, that just be in our, in our broader American reality beyond sports. People in positions of power generally do not get held accountable for True. either breaking the law or being unethical. Generally, it does not happen. And no. so I'm just, right. I'm just a raging cynic on that point. You're right. Hopefully, he, hopefully, it's just my opinion, I hope Nick Rolovich doesn't get a penny out of Washington State. I don't know what the contractual stipulation is of him, of him getting dismissed. I hope that you know, if you're Nick Rolovich, don't take the money. If it's that big, that important to you, don't take the money. Because if you take the money, you just show how much how how much of a hypocrite you really are, in my opinion.
It's almost like he was trying to get fired. Yeah, really. If you're turning down the money and then you want to claw it back when, you know, there have been dozens of court rulings that say, you know, the states have a right to enforce these vaccine mandates. Well, I mean, if Nick Rolovich, if you want to sue, go on ahead. But like, you know, your your chance to get money was by continuing to be employed. Right. right. And again, he chose not to be employed. Like this isn't something that is passively happening to him, something that is falling upon him, crashing down upon him. No, he chose this. And this has been he in the making. This. this has been in the making for three months. This is not like a yeah. week ago yeah. they said you had to do this. He's known about this for months. And again, all of his players were expected to do it. You know, all the staff members, everybody had to comply, and they've all done it except Nick Rolovich. Well, four Washington State assistants have been let go, and they also did not get vaccinated, which which reinforces all this stuff about you know Rolovich wanting to wanting his players to buy in, you know, hoping his players will do what he and his staff you know tell them to do, and yet. Here you have Rolovich and four other assistants not doing what their superiors tell them to do. It, it, that, that's really what gets me, right. is that he thinks he can boss around his players, but then he's not willing to take orders from, from uh, his superiors. Yeah, like right. that, that's real inconsistency. And, and he had time to find, to arrive at a middle ground here mm -hmm. uh, in terms of, you know, let's say, let's say he still didn't want to take the vaccine. Okay, fine. Then, then say to your players, you know what? If you want to leave the program, like you know, I understand. Or like, I'm not gonna. Rolovich should have told his players. He should have been much more explicit, both this year and last year. I'm not gonna ask you to do something I'm not prepared to do myself. Because isn't isn't that ultimately the yeah. test of a true leader? That you 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 don't ask something you can't do yourself. And Nick Rolovich, by that definition, he is a bad and failed leader. I agree. I agree. All right, let's take this. Let's take some more drama down to the bayou. Ed Orgeron, a guy you know well, have some experience with at USC, out at LSU. You know, they, they pull off a big win against Florida over the weekend. There's been rumblings the last couple of weeks coming out of Baton Rouge. Is this going to be the end? You got a new athletics director. They come to an agreement over the weekend on, I guess it's Sunday, uh, yesterday, that Orgeron would, would, will depart at the end of the year. I guess he's going to get about $17 million out the door at LSU. Just your thoughts. And again, this is more, this is as much on the field as off the field. LSU had not been doing well on the field the last couple of years, but there have been some pretty dubious allegations involving some sexual misconduct and how they handled that within the football program the last several years that Orgeron's been there, as much of it's off the field, I think, as is on the field. Your thoughts? Yeah. Well, just first a quick word about Ed Orgeron, precisely because of the off-field behavioral problems that were part of the reason he was pushed out this early at LSU. For that reason, you know, I've heard Orgeron to Miami, Orgeron to other jobs that are open up. No, he is not going to be a head coach, certainly in the next cycle. Like then, Now, this doesn't mean he won't be a head coach couple of years, maybe down the road. Three years right but he's not going to be a head coach anywhere in 2022 for that very reason that is a just let's get that point out of the way now in terms of the larger me the significance in the coaching carousel so here you go lsu and usc both open at the same time and, and so obviously from my usc perspective a huge question is 
does this affect USC's top two candidates? And I can certainly see James Franklin, who has coached in the SEC before at Vanderbilt, thinking, hmm, maybe not Los Angeles, maybe Baton Rouge is where I might relocate because I probably have a better chance of winning the national title at LSU than at USC. And I, and I, and as a USC observer, like I could say, no, 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 no. It's, it's, it's out here in LA, but no, it is LSU. Les Miles won a national title at LSU. Ed Orgeron won a national title at LSU. You can amass so many resources within state Louisiana talent Yep. Uh, and you don't have competition within the state. Like Tulane's not a legitimate right. competitor. So you have that Louisiana talent. Also, you can get into the Houston recruiting area, um, you know, and beating out, beating out Texas A&M for, for that, you know, Houston talent. So at, at LSU, I mean, it's the, the proof is there. It's certainly in the 21st century uh, with all the national titles LSU has won. Yeah, you can you can win big more readily at LSU than you can uh, at USC doesn't mean you can't be a rock star at USC. I mean, look at what Pete Carroll did. But in terms of winning national titles, you have that SEC advantage. If you you know are able to beat Alabama, like you're going to get the benefit of the doubt in a yeah. college football playoff argument or a question if it comes up. I mean, LSU after all won the BCS title in 2003, whereas USC didn't get into the BCS championship game, and that's that SEC brand. Like in, in, in close calls, it has a tiebreaker. So anyway, James Franklin might think that LSU is the better job than USC. So that's a major complication. And there's also the question of Luke Fickle, the other top USC candidate. You know, does, does LSU uh, appear especially appealing to him? Now, there's a lot of industry scuttlebutt. Uh, it's been around for years, Jason, that, you know, Luke Fickle wants to stay in the Midwest. Okay. And he wants to get a premium Big Ten job. He doesn't want to go outside of, of that region. So here's a fascinating plot point, Jason. Mel Tucker, Michigan State, you know, he was Kirby Smart's defensive coordinator at Georgia. Th there are some LSU boosters. And I talked to the uh, editor of LSU Wire, you know, one of our partner wire sites, USA Today, Gannett. Uh, he said that there, there are, there's a contingent of LSU boosters. How large that contingent is, I don't know. But like it's one of the factions behind the scenes in Baton Rouge that wants Mel Tucker, or at least would really like to bring Mel Tucker to LSU. So let's just entertain that possibility. I'm not saying it's likely, but just let's say, you know, that's in the ballpark of possibilities. And let's say that happens. All right. So Michigan State's open. Luke Fickle could then go to Michigan State and yeah. he stays he stays in the Midwest, but he goes to the Big Ten, which is what many people feel he's been wanting to do for several years. Um, so, and, you know, there would be precedent for a Cincinnati coach to go to Michigan State. Mark D'Antonio made that precise move in his career. So that's just one of the many different potential plot points in the coaching carousel that we're going to be following over the next several weeks. And if Tucker, and if Tucker were to go to LSU – That'd be the second time LSU went to Michigan State, i.e. Nick Saban, who they brought to LSU from Michigan State. So another little who Mel Tucker coached under Saban before he went to Kirby Smart. So there's a little bit more SEC connection. He knows the recruiting wars, the trails of the SEC. So that's a good name. Also, I heard today, would Jimbo Fisher be a potential possibility with his LSU connections 
with Saban and him being an assistant coach at LSU for many years. Absolutely. I mean, that that certainly is something he has to consider because, you know, it, Jimbo, if he keeps losing uh, the SEC West, I mean, obviously he beat Alabama, he beat Nick Saban this year, but, you know, those those early losses still have A&M, you know, in trouble in terms of being able to win the SEC West. Right. You know, it, Jimbo could certainly think, am I ever going to win this darn division? And if he thinks that that's an impossible task, well, moving to LSU certainly makes that a whole lot more realistic if we're being brutally honest about all that. So that's that's certainly a possibility. The, the obvious counterpoint is that he's just making a bajillion dollars and, right. you know, each win, you know, so the, the boosters want to give just shower him with more and more cash. So, like, why would you want to walk away from all that money uh, that he's making? So, but that's certainly a possibility. And the other thing is Mario Cristobal, and I think he's staying at Oregon, yeah. you know, no matter what, I think he's staying there. But there's certainly been some whispering over the past few days that, you know, forget about the Miami job, that that LSU could, could be on – his radar screen and LSU might reach out to Cristobal if, you know, he's not going to be the number one candidate, probably mm. not even number two, number three, but James Franklin says no, or it goes to USC. Luke Fickle says, I'm staying in the Midwest. Uh, you get a few other dominoes to fall in a particular direction. And then maybe Cristobal is like the fifth choice for LSU. And let's remember LSU didn't get, uh, the, the, its first choice didn't get Tom Herman when there was that battle with Texas right. uh, a few years ago. So, you know, if LSU doesn't get its first two or three choices, you no, never no. know. I mean, we, we have seen far stranger sure. things happen in the coaching carousel than Mario Cristobal to LSU. Now I'll give you one more of the name, which I know we've talked about before, who's got connections SEC and out West, Lane Kiffin. He keeps winning. Yes. He keeps winning in Ole Miss, you know, with the offensive firepower, the ability to recruit quarterbacks, skill players, which is what LSU really needs. They've always had defensive talent. They need some more skill players. That the one year they had Burrow, they went the distance. So a guy like Lane Kiffin, if he can stay, you know, I think he's in the mix. And that would be so fascinating. And, 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 you know, we, this, this week we have Lane Kiffin and against Ed Orgeron on this LSU. So right, that's a, that's right. a spicy little plot point. And so like, if we're going to read the tea leaves here, Jason, you know, if Lane, if Lane Kiffin is interested in the LSU job, and we don't know this he for is. a fact. I can is. promise you he is. All right. Okay. Well, let's just go along with it. If he really wants to prove a point to the LSU brass, what is he going to do? He's going to try to score 80 points yes. against the Tigers. Yes. And going to say, you want me on your sideline. You don't want me doing that to you. Yeah. So that that's just a fascinating plot point uh, coming up. And the other thing is, let's say Kevin does go to LSU. He would then annoy the hell out of a second SEC fan base when uh -huh. he dumps in a hot second, you know, for another job. He did it with Tennessee, staying there one year. You know, now he, he hasn't been at Ole Miss very long. He'd annoy right. another fan base. That would be amazing. No doubt. you. There's going to be some massive behind-the-scenes chatter between ADs and agents in these next three or four weeks with your, your job open at USC. You got the LSU job open. There's going to be probably another couple Miami of Miami probably is going to come open. Florida, I don't think Florida State, but you never know.
But it's never fun. know. Yeah, big. But jobs. Miami's likely to come open, and I would also say Virginia Tech's likely to come open right. as well. So you know, there people are going to be taking some proactive shots here to get their guys. So it's going to be very interesting to see these next this next four or five weeks as we head to head to Thanksgiving. All right. The, the center of the ESPN college football world's coming out your way. Saturday night, UCLA, Oregon. ESPN will be there. Fowler, Herb Street, ABC. This is Oregon's chance to stay in the mix. They've still got a shot here to get in the playoff, I think, if they can run the table. Just give us a quick preview of the game. Yeah, so, you know, Oregon needed, uh, didn't beat Cal until the last play of regulation. Uh, stopped Cal inside the five-yard line to win 24-17 at home. And Cal is a really bad team. Cal has just one win. So, like, if you're if you're a, an elite team, you shouldn't be getting taken to the last play by Cal. And it's mostly about the quarterback spot. Anthony Brown, Oregon's quarterback, the transfer from Boston College, just is, is a, he's playing very mediocre football, wasn't especially good against Stanford, wasn't especially good against Cal. So, and that was, you know, Oregon's, that Oregon Cal game came off an idle week. Oregon had two weeks to prepare for Cal and get Anthony Brown and its passing game back in order. Right. Very plainly failed to do it. So, purely in terms of how the teams are playing, UCLA is a more informed team, playing better football than Oregon. But the thing is, you, when, when UCLA comes across a big moment, UCLA flops. Like UCLA lost by 19 at home to Arizona State in a game where the Bruins were favored, uh, got shut out in the second half. I mean, UCLA usually steps on the rake in these really big moments. But I mean, just a, purely, purely on form and also in terms of quarterback play, this is a game UCLA should win, but UCLA usually loses. Like, let's remember, you know, you're you're aware being in the Southeast that, you know, Tennessee hasn't won a conference championship since 1998. Uh, it's the same with UCLA. That was also the last year the Bruins won a conference title. Um, so, you know, UCLA is like basically – Was Tennessee. that Cade, Cade McNown and Bob Toledo? Cade McNown under Bob Toledo, yes. <laughs> yes, and so – you know, UCLA is basically the Tennessee of the West. Wow. And so, you know, UCLA should win this game, but when, since when should anyone trust UCLA in a big game? That's really the, the main uh, big picture view of Saturday's game uh, in Pasadena. And, and, and say what you want. I know Oregon's not playing good very well right now, but if they can just win, win the games, I don't think they have to win by a ton. Because they no, have the South best, don't matter. They have the best non-conference win in the country at yes. Ohio State. Early, they go twelve and one. If they go twelve and one, they're going to be there. I but agree. but it's just highly doubtful that they're going to go twelve and one. I get it, but they don't have to have the good thing is they don't have to have style points. I think they just got to win the yes. somehow win sure. the games. And again, after UCLA, do they play? Who would they play? They, they're at Utah. That's going to be a another tough there, one. Yep. But if they get by that, if they be, if they can beat UCLA and Utah on the road, yeah, it, it looks pretty good for them. But it's going to be hard for them to win both of those games. I agree. I agree. All right, I'm going to get you out of here on this. Give me, give me, give me one minute on what your thoughts were on the situation in Knoxville over the weekend. What a disaster there at the end of the game, pelting the field with with all the water bottles after the controversial spot, Ole Miss, Kiffin back in Knoxville for the first time as the head coach. Just your thoughts on that whole situation. The SEC finds 
Tennessee, $250,000 for the actions. What do you, what just your general thoughts about fan behavior around the country in situations like this? Well, this was 12 years in the making, wasn't it? You know, it was 12 <laughs> years since uh, Lane Kiffin was head coach in Knoxville. And again, he left the program and, you know, caused an uproar. To go by going your out way. Of the to go your way. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. So, you know, a, a, a few thoughts. One, if a, if a fan brings a golf ball to a, to a football game or a basketball game, like, isn't that a tell about what that, what that fan intends to do? Like right. that, that's a weapon. Like that's, that should be obvious. And uh, you know, so security, why, where was security on this in terms of confiscating that? Like you right. can't bring a golf ball into a football stadium. Right. Like there's no redeeming purpose or value there. The other thing is, you know, in terms, if you, if you don't like a call, this is what I, this is something that should be addressed. You know, and when there's a really blatantly bad call that influences a game, think of that Miami Duke kickoff yeah. several years ago. It was, you know, it was the last play of the game, and it was obvious that the Miami runner was down. Like, there's no way that play should have stood. Duke should have won that game. There should be a better process for overturning calls after games have ended. You know, there should be a way for the conference office to step in and say, you know what? That call was wrong, and the other team should win. <laughs> now, the the the, pro, you know, the thing with Miami Duke was that was the last play, right. so you could you could very easily just award the game to the other team. Now, in Ole Miss Tennessee wasn't the case, but like in baseball games used to be played under protest, right? You know, there, there should be some better way of resolving these grievances and the thing the, the here's the instructive point jason and this is not to excuse the behavior we saw in knoxville of course it was disgusting and gross but if there was a sense that these grievances would be listened to and dealt with more fairly more reasonably well fans wouldn't get as upset again not meant to excuse the behavior but there should be a better way to address these grievances. Like, you know, the Yankees and Royals, the George Brett Pintar game, like there was a protest and the game was resumed at a later point in time. Are we saying we can't ever do this? Are we saying that Ole Miss couldn't go to Neyland Stadium on the first Saturday of December to finish the game from, from the point when it was interrupted? I mean, you know, if they're in the SEC championship game, okay. But if they're not, right. Why not make it up? I mean, is it that is it that big of a hardship to ask those teams to make up that game? I think in that case, in that situation, Saturday night in Knoxville, the call was not an egregious miss. Now we can debate did he make the first down or not. They looked at it on replay. And again, people have to realize not every game has the same number of cameras for replay. The higher profile games get more cameras. So that was not a high profile game. So you didn't have every single camera angle to determine where he was at. It was upheld. You couldn't determine where he was at. So Ole Miss wins the game. And again, Tennessee had the ball at the 20-yard line to win the game, two shots to win it. So you can say, um, you know, you, you, you can make an argument there too. But, you know, bad, bad look for the SEC and bad look for Tennessee, you know. so No question. No question. Matt, great work, man. Keep it up. We will be in touch as we get towards the college football playoff. Tell everybody where they can find you one more time online. Yeah, so I'm on Twitter at Trojans Wire and uh, on the web at trojanswire.usatoday.com. Just co covering this USC coaching search, 
covering how the US, the LSU coaching search might affect the USC coaching search. So, you know, coaching carousel is, is really the thing that we're covering this year because, you know, USC is an afterthought on the field, you know, right. dreary, dreadful performances. I mean, you know, it's just a lame duck season. The players have mentally checked out. They just want to get to, to the off season, find out who their new coach is. Then they'll be reinvested emotionally but really, the, our next several weeks, it's coaching carousel. So you want to turn to Trojans Wire for extensive coaching carousel coverage. We have you covered here. And you do. Matt does a great job. And I know the next time we have you on, by coincidence, somebody else will get fired out of the blue <laughs> two hours before we're supposed to talk. Keep it up, Matt. Another Black Monday. The Black Monday, brother. Keep it up. Great work. And we'll talk to you real soon. Thanks so much, Jason. All right, buddy. Thanks for listening to the Powers on Sports podcast. Please remember to subscribe, rate, and review. And now a word from our podcast sponsor, Titan Home Lending. For all of your home financing needs anywhere in the state of Florida, whether it's a purchase or a refinance, reach out to Titan Home Lending, 205-790-1404. Titan Home Lending is based in Tampa, Florida. We can help you with FHA, conventional, renovation loans, jumbo loans, and virtually anything in between. So reach out to me, Jason Powers, Titan Home Lending, 205-790-1404. All right, welcome back to the Powers on Sports podcast. We are set to unveil another one of our Life of the Wife episode interview series that we are doing. We're talking to ladies around the world of sports that are uh, wives of coaches or players and just all that stuff. So I'm very uh, excited to be, we're going to be talking to Erica Betcher. Erica's the wife of NFL assistant coach James Betcher, who's currently working for the San Francisco 49ers. And we're just going to talk to Erica about her, uh, her journey through the world with James and coaching world and raising kids and all that good stuff. So welcome to the podcast, Erica. Hi, Jason. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. All right. First question I want to know, you probably know this, I bet. How many times have you moved? <laughs> um, a lot. Um, I think this is our ninth cross-country move. Cross, okay. All right. Yeah. Nine moves. So obviously most of the time the the misses in the in the in the in the couple is kind of responsible for the moving and all that kind of good stuff. Cause James, I'm sure once you move, you gotta get to the you gotta get coaching and all that stuff. Talk to me about just some of the challenges of doing all that stuff, kind of when you're having to do it, I won't say by yourself, but you're having to organize most of it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it does fall on the coach's wife. Um, sometimes we get a little help. Sometimes we don't on the moving end. Depends on when we move. Um, actually, when our, we moved out here, we waited until the summer, which typically we try to move as soon as he gets the job. So like March, we usually try to head out and get the kids acclimated to their schools. Um, here for this particular move, uh, my husband was with me and was able to help me move out. So that was nice. Um, Something else that's pretty cool is the teams actually, um, they provide the packing and all of that. So okay. I can get everything nicely organized. And so I can't complain too much. Um, the moving is never easy. It is, it's a lot, but at least I have some help. So how easy is it from just the, 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 the situations of 
I don't know if you guys le- are renting or buying in your different moves. How yeah. just that trickiness of having to decide: Are we going to buy a place here? Are we going to rent? How are we going to do it? And if we do have to sell a house, all that stuff that goes into that. Yeah, um, and again, different nuances according to what part of the country we're in, right? Um, when we were with the Giants, um, that was an interesting housing market. Um, it just kind of depends on you know where we are. So. Here in California, I'll say is probably the hardest um, with the market out here. It's pretty crazy. Um, so we prefer personally to rent, yeah. um, usually wherever we go. We have bought a couple times, but now we have a home base set up in Arizona. Okay. So we have a house where, you know, with all these moves, uh, we just felt like for our family, we wanted to have a home base. And right. we were out with the Cardinals for five years and really loved it there in the desert. And so yeah. we decided for the kids, we wanted to build a home base there. Okay. So from here on out, we'll probably rent. Um, we're here in um, the San Fran area with the kids and they're in school here and we are renting here. So it just kind of depends on the situation. How old are your children, if you want me asking? Yeah, so I have a 10-year-old son. I have a six-year-old daughter and we have a one-year-old son. Uh-oh. So we are very busy right now. We're in the fun stage of life. That's right. So how do you determine when it's moving time? If it's, let's just say March and the kids yeah. are in school, how do you determine, do we move in March or do we wait till the end of the school year? Yeah, so having that nice span of 10 years between my kids, I've had um, some time to kind of learn from these moves, right? So sometimes you think, oh, this is gonna be the right idea. And then you move and you're like, oh, I don't know. But the hardest part I'll say is just being away from my husband, um, the kids being away from their father. So for us, I think moving right away is the best case scenario. Okay. However, we did not do that this last move just because we had just gotten our house in Arizona set up. Um, and actually the, the schools here in California were still shut down. Right. So they, they were virtual, you know, the whole, um, pretty much the whole year. So it didn't make sense for us to take the kids out of school and um, bring them here for me to homeschool them basically. So we did, we were apart for four months um which was a challenge but luckily we're both on the same side of, we're on the same coast right so it wasn't like we were having to go back and forth on the coast which happens right um, wherever your home base or forever home might be so you just never know but uh my husband came home almost every other weekend yeah. so we made it work yeah so it just depends there's so many moving parts but we prefer to move right away um right. as the kids get older we get to that high school age I can see how, you know, some wives stay behind and they let the kids finish out, especially if you've got that senior year kind of situation. Sure. Um, but for us, we're young and we can move around. So, you know, the Very kids cool. are young. Yeah. I'm sure you got all those moving companies and all those things on speed dial. I Storage. do. And, you know, we've, yeah, we've been fortunate. We've had some amazing um, companies that just really take care of us. And we do like to, you know, for, for obvious reasons, keep with the same companies sure. um, that kind of know us and we, we know we can trust them. And so, yeah. Very cool. All right. So where did you meet James at? Um, James and I, so we're, we're old school. We met in college. Okay. Um, we have been married 12 years now. What, co- what college? Um, so I went to IU, uh, University of, of um, IU in, in Bloomington. Me too. I went to grad school in Bloomington. Oh, did you? I did. Okay. It's funny. I've met so many people out here in the Bay that are IU grads. Okay. And some of them are from here. So very cool. There's a lot of IU grads out there. There you go. Yeah. Who's your your daddy? Who's your daddy? Yeah. 
That's right. So we had, I had a good time there at IU, but um, my sophomore year is when I met, I think it was between my sophomore and junior year, I met my husband, James. Um, he was playing football at the University of St. Francis, okay. um, which is in my hometown of Fort Wayne, Indiana. Okay. So he was playing there. Um, he's a couple years older than I am. So I think he was a senior that year that I met him. Um, so it was just a mutual friend kind of thing. There was a football party going on and um, we met there and, you know, there's all kinds of fun stories about how we ended up getting together, but we had a, a quick date. And after that, we were really never apart. So um, I drove every weekend almost from Bloomington to Fort Wayne to see him play. And, um, all right. but I didn't know at that time that he was going to be a football coach. So, so, how, how, so how did that conversation go when he said, Erica, this is kind of what I want to do. And then the odds are I'm going to have to start at the absolute bottom of the rung and who knows where it's going to take us. Right. Um, well, he was going to go to law school. Okay. So he actually took his LSATs and he was um, accepted to some pretty good law schools. Um, again, he was a couple years older than I was. So I was doing my student teaching when this was all going on. Okay. Um, and again, my hometown is Fort Wayne, where he was graduating from. And his head coach at his alma mater mentioned to him that he should stay on and, and coach. He thought he'd be a great coach and um, kind of talked him into that path. And, you know, I, I was supportive. It sounded yeah. great to me. I, he's, you know, I knew that it would be a great situation for him, something that he loves and is passionate about. And um, I didn't know where that journey would take us. So basically yeah. I was, I was saying yes to being in my hometown, right. Cause that's where he was, he coached for gosh, I have to think two or three years. Right. Um, he was actually O-line and then he was a special teams coordinator. And then he also was the head track and field coach. <laughs> so I didn't see much of him, even though we were in the same town. Cause I was, you know, I was teaching and all that. So, so your background is a teacher, correct? You yeah. got your teaching degree. So I'm, I'm a true Hoosier because I actually got my master's then at Ball State. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. Very cool. Very cool. Um, so obviously James started his career. I think he spent seven or eight years in the college world before he got an NFL opportunity. How talk to me about the, just the, that first seven or eight years of living the college life, basically where it's, you, you know, who knows if your next job is going to be where, and you know, the odds yeah. are you're going to have to move around to, to advance and all that kind yeah. of stuff. Yeah. So I think um, our story is kind of interesting just because we literally went from, you know, NAI level all the way up to the NFL. Um, I don't think that that's very common from what I understand. Um, division. So we were, it's like a division three NAI. And then he decided after a few years of coaching for his alma mater that, you know, he wanted to try something that was a little more, you know, challenging, competitive. And so he got an opportunity at Ball State. So he was a graduate assistant for just a year at Ball State. And then he moved on to the University of North Carolina and was a graduate assistant for four years. Wow. So, yeah. So, um, I mean, those opportunities are, are hard to come by. Right. And we knew how fortunate we were to get that opportunity. Um, and at that point, we weren't married yet. We were still trying to decide, like, is this what I want to do? Like, this is kind right. of, you know, this is a crazy life. Um, and I was really passionate about teaching then. So I happened to find a really great job there in um, the Chapel Hill area. And so uh, we kind of planted roots there and that we love North Carolina. Um, so it was hard because 
five years of being a graduate assistant, making very Nothing. little money. Nothing. Um, he was working, I was working, but I was actually supporting the family. You know, right. I had insurance and all of that where he didn't have that as a graduate assistant, but he got connected with some really amazing coaches there at UNC. And that's what kind of projected what we would see in, in coming into the NFL. So very cool. So how for yeah. you, obviously you knew kind of getting into that coaching world that he wasn't going to be around a whole lot. Yes. How, how tough is that for, you know, how have you gotten used to that or is it how, how tough of is it for you from a real, just a pure relationship part of things of yeah. not seeing your spouse or your, or your mate very yeah. often and knowing that's just going to be the way it is. Yes. I mean, you just kind of learn as you go, right? No one expects that that's the life that they're going to have right off the bat. Right. Um, but then you see the time that they're putting in and, and what it takes to be, to be elite and, you know, and just have a great program and just, there's just so much to it. You, you learn as a wife that this is just how it is and you need to support it. Right. And you need to have your own life. So I have a lot of hobbies. <laughs> I was uh, being a teacher, you know, I put a lot of hours in. Yep. So, um, what grade, have, you, what grade did you teach? So I taught fourth, fifth, and sixth, and okay. I taught for eight years. And through that eight years, we moved within that, like, at least four times. So I was teaching a new grade level, new state, um, you know, so that was a little tricky for me to find a teaching job, but it always worked out. So basically you just have to have your own life and, um, you know, you just got to make it work. For you moving around so much, like you said, you're moving to different cities. How did you obviously you had your probably your teaching people that you got to know with the different schools that you taught at but outside yeah. of school how did you just to get to enjoy the city you were living in whatever city that was yeah experience different things in the city whether it's culturally socially restaurants how is it for you to do all that stuff when you again when you know you didn't have a whole lot of time with James to do that the fun stuff um, the fun stuff yeah yeah the fun stuff so that's the part that I actually I love about being a coach's wife is I get to meet so many new people um, of course, our coach's wife circle, just wherever we are. So with the Giants, the coaching staff of wives there, um, here at the 49ers, I'm, you're just like your own family and your own circle of people. Yep. Um, and if we go back into the Cardinal days, of course, um, Chris Arians, I know you've had them on her on your podcast and those were our besties on that staff. And we did everything together. Um, there are a couple of younger wives on staff that had younger kids about my same age. Okay. So we really built our own circle and explored all the things together. Um, I also, you know, just, you just kind of organically create friendships with whether it's the gym or I play tennis. Um, I do travel tennis. So a lot of my friendships come from there and then that's neat because then I can embrace the area and they can show me all the things. And then even just traveling to different clubs, I get to see the areas. So all kinds of different ways. Yeah. Very good. Very good. All right. So Obviously, when James gets his opportunity in the NFL, it's, a, it's you know, probably both financially and just the quality of life is probably a little bit better yeah. than the college life. Just talk to, me, talk to us about that transition. And at that time, you're probably thinking about having a family and I'd probably right around that time of, of your 10-year-old being born and all that stuff. Yeah. Just talk about that transition going to just a different quality of life. Yeah, so we had such up and down kinds of situations with that. Um, and I'd say the middle years of, of this coaching span. Um, so I was actually pregnant with my first um, when he got the job, his first division one coaching job at Ball State. I was pregnant with our first, I was finishing my master's and our head coach got fired. So 
we then went from there to UNH, which is like, you know, just kind of felt like a little bit of the middle of nowhere, an right. area that we never explored, right? University and of New Hampshire, University of New Hampshire. University of New Hampshire, that's right. Not the football, uh, not the football heaven of, of, of the United yeah. States. <laughs> you know what? Like, I just firmly believe that God puts you in a situation for a reason. And yeah. like, I can look back and every year there was just something that was like, okay, yeah, that's why we were there. So it was a cool experience. But at eight months pregnant, I moved from Ball State to UNH and we were driving ourselves, you know, like no movers then, no packers. So right. that's what I, I've learned to appreciate these things. So yeah, things might seem a little a little hard and like, oh, the coach's wife life is so hard. I can never do it. But, you know, there's some things that I've learned to appreciate and understand. Um, so at eight months pregnant, so we move up there. We were only there for one season and Chuck Pagano got the head job with the Colts and called my husband and he didn't have like a normal, like um, position coach type of position. They actually created a position for him. So he wasn't a GA he wasn't a quality control, um, but he didn't have like a full-time assistant. So he kind of had to get his foot in there, kind of, so to speak. Yeah. Um, and so I was still teaching. And then, so the big jump, I guess, to answer your question would be from going from um, the Colts to the Arizona Cardinals. Right. So when um, Chuck had had cancer, he was diagnosed right. with cancer. Um, you know, Bruce took over and... You know, it was a really hard time for everybody, but we wanted to do the best that we could to support Chuck and sure. um, Bruce and my husband became very close friends and, you know, he was kind of his right hand man with everything. Um, and so Bruce then took James with him when he got the head job at, at Arizona. And um, that was our big jump, right? That's where life was a little bit easier sure. um, financially and all of those things. So um where did that where did that relationship with Bruce come from? Because obviously Bruce is a little older than James. It's yeah. was it more like a father-son kind of when it started yeah. out that way as a mentor and then well, obviously yeah, then became very close. Yeah. And then so James has that same relationship with Chuck, with Coach Pagano. Um, both amazing men, amazing families. Um, you know, I it just that stuff's just organic. You know, they have a lot in common. They're just both ball coaches, you know, they're good old boys. They enjoy each other. They enjoy time, you know, all the things. Um, but James did a lot for, um, on the organizational side of things, right. Not just coaching, but he helped like in the day-to-day -day stuff of just all the things for being a head coach with both Chuck and, um, BA. So James knew the ins and outs of everything that needed to be done on a daily basis, right. which for a head coach, you know, that's, it's, it's, a you, need you need the help. You need the help. So James was just that he was the right hand man there, you know, and Bruce and him just became very close. They spent a lot of hours together. Um, James was also going back and forth, um, you know, doing things for Chuck at that time. So uh, he got the opportunity to go to, to the Cardinals and, you know, we were so excited. Yeah. Um, yeah. Very so cool. Started. So, yeah. yeah. Um, so family wise. So when you, when you, Obviously, you and James decided this is gonna we're gonna go for it here. We're gonna get married. How was your was your family? What was your family thinking? Why didn't she meet an Indiana business school guy and go yeah. go live live the normal uh, nine to five life as opposed yeah. to this lifestyle? What was what was the thought of your folks and his folks? Oh no, they're both like our families are close, and my mom just loves James. You know, she's loved him from the day she met him. So uh, 
there was there was no hesitation on anything it was okay. you all will support each other however it needs to be done you know we have no question and what what can we do so my mom's been amazing in all these moves she's always the first one that comes out you know helps with the kids helps with the organizing um and james mom was the same way she so we've got a lot of support there and yeah now is james from fort wayne where is he from? Is from um a very small town like a one stoplight town um right outside of south bend indiana it's okay. called lakeville indiana yeah and he has got a very big family um opposite of what mine is i have one brother he has there's six of them. Wow. And we've have like, I don't even know, I've lost count 36, 37 nieces and nephews. Right. On his side. Yeah. All right. So you obviously you you go with BA, the relationship with BA. BA has a lot of success in Arizona. You guys almost get to the Super Bowl, get to an yeah. NFC championship game. You don't quite make it. Then Bruce decides he's gonna, you know, kind of retire. There's the, the, you know, him leaving Arizona. Yeah. How did that did that affect James? you know, emotionally and all that stuff from a man. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It was tough. Um, and that was like our family, right? And we right. felt like Arizona was home. So it was tough for everybody. Um, thankfully, though, with the opportunity that Bruce gave James and coming to the Cardinals and then eventually um, promoting him to the defensive coordinator when Todd Bowles went to the Jets, right? which is an unbelievable uh, opportunity and faith and all of that kind of thing. Um, because, you know, James was one of the youngest at that time. Right. He was the youngest, but he was one of the youngest coordinators, defensive coordinators in the league. Right. So that was pretty special. Um, and because of that success and because of that opportunity um, that Bruce gave him, he was able to have some really great opportunities coordinating still for some other teams. Um, so that was, that was tough. It took, you know, it just seemed like those weeks and days, like just drag on of where are we going to go? What are we going to do? You know, what's going to be the best opportunity to make the pros and cons. Um, and ultimately and it, he decided. Did he involve you? I'm sure you're involved, but you are, are you, do you have a pretty good say in a lot of that stuff as far as, Hey, Absolutely. yeah. Yeah. Uh, like a pros and cons list kind of thing. A hundred percent. We're old school with that. Um, right. There's so much that goes into these decisions and they're right. never easy. And, you know, hindsight is, whatever, you know, you just never know, but you just make the best choice for, you know, our kids for what's going to be best professionally for him. And obviously he's worked really hard to get to where he is. Um, you know, and you just want to make that choice all around. That's going to be the best. Yeah. So then you, you obviously, you know, in the world of coaching, you get hired to get fired. Unfortunately, that's kind of the way yeah. it goes. How, how for you, for James, the family, in a situation where you end up getting let go for whatever reason, you get let go and you're no yeah. longer the defensive coordinator or you, or you, or you maybe you have to take a, you go from a defensive coordinator to have to take a position coach job again. Yeah. How is that trickiness handled with you guys? Trickiness. Yes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's a nice word way to put it. Um, so this is actually our first experience and notice I say like ours and not just yeah. his, we really do think of it as a team. As it a is. Team. We're, we, we feel so fortunate to have had the journey that we've had um, and to for him to do something where he's so passionate about and so good at it and a leader of men and all of those things. So it comes with the job, it comes with it, it comes with the life, all the things. Uh, that was our first experience being fired. Uh, he's never had that experience. Every opportunity, um, every time we had a move, it was because it was a better opportunity for the most part, right? Um, and with 
the media out there with New York, right. it can be a little brutal. So, you know, as a coach's wife, you learn just stay off, stay off all the media stuff and just live your life. And it, it was hard, but you can't take it personal. And when you know you're having a losing, losing season for whatever reason, a lot of times it's completely outside of your control, right? Right. Um, you just have to, you have to look to what's next. Yeah. How do are your kids, are your, are your, are your kids big football fans, obviously because of yeah. their life or do they, are they kind of do their own thing or what? Talk to me yeah. about your kids a little bit as far as what they love to do. Yeah. So Colton is, he's, he's special when it comes to being dad's little sidekick. Colton's 10 and he has been to every football game since he was born. Okay. So whether that was him and my, his little baby Bjorn carrier and university of New Hampshire times when he was first born like he was in the stands every game and like, I have the cutest pictures of him at the Colts, like number one, you know, when he was one being there in the stands, he was on the sidelines kicking uh, field goals with Adam Vinatieri. Like he has such awesome, cool memories and things that he's gotten to do because of being a coach's kid. And he, he dies by every play more so even than I do. <laughs> um, he wants like, there were some years where he'd have his dad make him like a little chart with all the plays on it. And he would actually bring it to, but they weren't real plays, but he'd bring it to the game and he'd be like, you know, he thinks he knows what's going on. And is it cover two or are we blitzing? Are we, are we blitzing exactly, or is it a cover exactly. two? It's hard. That's probably one of the hardest parts is watching your child know how important each and every game is and how hard their yeah. dad works. Yeah. Um, you know, and the firing part, that part's really hard for a child too. Sure. Um, to understand. Cause, Cause I'm sure now he's at the age where he understands what's going on. And when yeah, we have and to move, it's not because we, and all of that. Yeah. It's not because so we want to move. Yeah. Yeah. It makes them resilient and makes them adaptable. Right. So yeah. he's, he has a hard time with it sometimes with these losses and things, but they, you know, they roll with the punches. But so how is mom as a fan? Are you, are you living and dying every play? Yeah. I both. Yeah. Both. I'm, I'm a little bit of both. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm yelling and hooting, hollering in the stands. Um, but not too crazy. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, you listen to the Powers on Sports podcast. I'm talking with Erica Betcher, the wife of James Betcher, who's an assistant coach with the San Francisco 49ers. He's been in numerous stops around the college world in the, in the NFL. And we're just talking to, to Erica about her, about her journey through the life of coaching with, uh, with James and such. All right. Let's talk about a normal game week, a, a week like this. What, um, you know, is what days of the week do you get to see James more than others during a normal, we're in week four of the NFL season? Yeah. So we had kind of a rough start just as far as we had two away on the road games. Okay. And they did that whole stop where they went to the Greenbrier, which we yep. actually had done with the Cardinals. So he was literally gone for two weeks straight. Yeah. Um, so that's always a little bit of a, like, you know, we had come right out of training camp and then we're going straight into two weeks. Um, road trip, two week road yeah. trip two weeks road trip. Yeah. So we went for, you know, good two weeks without seeing him, but then when we have a home game week, right. Um, it's kind of like a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, we know we're not going to see him. Right. right? Cause he's going in at like four to four 30 in the morning and he's getting home about midnight. Wow. Sometimes. Um, yeah. So I'm usually asleep when he goes in and I'm asleep when he uh, gets home Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, then Thursday, he's home earlier. You know, we can catch the end of Thursday night football <laughs> and uh, he goes and picks my daughter up from gymnastics. Okay. And then Fridays are kind of like, we call them the date night in the NFL, you know? 
Um, this Friday in particular, though, was a special Friday last night. Uh, we actually had the linebackers over and a couple coaches. Okay. We had them over here at our house and um, cooked them dinner. A and little dinner. And yep. hang out. Yeah. So. How neat is it to uh, now? Are, do you are you do you kind of I know you obviously had developed relationships with with the position that he's coaching. You, yeah. You try to create a relationship with their girlfriends or their wives. You know, yeah. they you know during the year type thing, or is it more coaches coach coaches wives and then separate from the players and their wives? Yeah, I think it's a little different um, in the NFL. Just we don't have as much interaction with the coaches' wives or with the players' wives. Excuse me. Um, however just naturally sometimes you know especially since we're younger on the younger end um and especially when james first got his coordinating job a lot of his players were his same age right so we have a lot in common the families and and we would meet at like training camp or we would um with the cardinals we had a family uh like a walkthrough on saturdays and so we'd see the families there and there's been a couple wives over time here in the nfl that i've gotten to be close with and um you know, our kids play together and that kind of thing. Yeah. So it just, it depends. Sometimes, you know, the girlfriends, the wives, they don't always live where the players are either. Right. So, yeah. How is it, how, how, how has it been with the different teams you've been with? Typically maybe the head coach's wife kind of takes the lead with organizing things with the, with the other coaches wives. How has that been for you as far as working? Obviously you've worked with Chris Arians, you were in New yeah. York, you've been in, you know, obviously now in San Francisco. How has it been with different coach head coaches wives? kind of facilitating some relationships. Yeah, I've been super fortunate. The wives, the head coaches' wives that we've been lucky to be a part of are like amazing women. And I'm fortunate because I, I get to learn from those women and also be a part of something special with the wives circle, right? So um, Tina Pagano, when we were with the Colts, amazing, amazing, um, special being able, we just did a lot of stuff together. We had a Bible study. Um, that Tina hosted at her house, you know, we did a lot of things together. And then same thing with the Cardinals. Chris was the head head coach's wife. And um, same thing we did. She's amazing. So lots of, lots of lunches at her home. Yep. They threw uh, quite a few amazing staff parties at their home. And then also we had a Bible study with a group of wives there too. Um, for me, like the Bible studies have been you know, really special and just getting to know the wives better and, and continuing to grow in my faith and that kind of thing. So and same here. So everywhere we've been, it's been amazing. Very so, cool. Yeah. How many times a year do you typically get to try? Do you get, does each team typically bring the, the wives with the, with the team once or twice a year on a road trip? How does that typically work? Um, on in the NFL? Yeah. Um, honestly, I have not had that experience. Okay. We've not done any away wives trips like all together that was organized by the head coach's wife. Okay. Um, I know sometimes sure. if, if you're going to a West, a very nice West coast place or something, sometimes yeah. they'll bring once a year, they'll bring all the oh, coaches. Yeah, absolutely. Wives I remember that a little bit more in college, okay. um, but we didn't know we haven't done that. And you know, with COVID times and all, I mean, there was, sure. I know we had talked a little bit with the giants, um, uh, his wife, Pat Shermer's wife, amazing lady. I know that we had some plans of doing some things that got side railed, you know? Right. So yeah, sometimes, sometimes the wives get to do all that kind of stuff together and sometimes it doesn't work out. So speaking of COVID, how difficult was last year knowing what a high risk that you had to, I mean, you almost couldn't, he was getting tested every day. You had to be very yeah. careful about the kids and not 
spreading and all that kind of stuff that went with COVID, how difficult yeah. it was last year, in addition to a normal, what it would be on a normal year, even more so last year. Yeah. And part of this year. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, it's been crazy. We actually, my, my husband took last year off. Okay. So once, once we left the Giants, um, you know, we weighed some things, pros and cons list. He still had another year. Um, so we just decided to take last year off, which ended up being a blessing in disguise. We had our son. Yep. He was there for that whole experience. Um, but then coming a lot of, so with the 49ers specifically, they ended up, uh, Santa Clara shut down their stadium. Right. So they ended up coming to where we were and they were sharing the Arizona Cardinals stadium. Right. Um, but I mean, the stories are so from, and I was talking to some of the players, um, girlfriends last night and them telling the story about how they basically spent Christmas in a hotel you know, in the desert and, and they made that work and same for some of the coaches wives because they wanted to be together. So, right. Um, but now coming into just the, the COVID testing and what happens when you test, I mean, it's just crazy. Right. And then our friends at the box, you know, that's, that's our people. That's like our whole staff from Arizona almost and hearing, you know, I've a couple very close friends still that I talk to and hearing their stories about, you know, they couldn't do a lot during that time, that Super Bowl run and how restrictive that was for them, even as the family and not the actual coach. Yeah. I spoke, I spoke to um, one of the Bucks assistants. One, I'm based in Tampa. So I spoke uh -huh. to one of the assistant uh, that one of the current assistants wife. And she was just telling me, uh, you, and you may know uh, Todd McNair's wife, Lynette. I don't know if you know Lynette McNair. I don't I, know her yet. Okay. She's the running back coach's wife. And then I also spoke with one of the uh, defensive assistant coaches' wives and just how crazy it was during the Super yeah. Bowl and how yeah. you couldn't, you know, the, the one one of the ladies was having a child last year and she was like, My husband gets tested every freaking day. You better let him in the delivery room. I know. It, gets, it, I mean, it was scary last year. Yeah. And for us, when we left New York, it was it was like the height of COVID in New York. Like right. I mean, it was crazy. Right. And so we were thinking about that in our head too. Where do we want to go from here? They, in the New York city hospitals, they weren't allowing the, the spouse, the partner to be there. So I don't crazy. know, you know, when we, our son was born in July, uh, maybe things changed, but yeah, it was, it was scary. Right. It was, it was very different. And had he been coaching, I'm sure, you know, that he wouldn't have been there probably. Right. So. right. All right. So let's talk about the off season a little bit. What do you guys you know, when you and James have some time, you know, it's obviously a little bit different off-season schedule in the pros that it is in college with no recruiting and all that stuff. So a little bit more downtime for him and a little bit more. Absolutely, what, do you, yeah. what do you guys like to do family trip-wise, vacations, just together as a, as, a, as a unit when you have some free time? Yeah, so that, that six weeks-ish, depending on where you're at, um, sometimes that's a little shorter, sometimes it's a little longer, is super special and it's, it's kind of a unique situation, right? Most people don't have in their life, like we know we're going to be off this six weeks out of the summer. So you can do some pretty special things. Um, we have kind of set up a tradition of, because we want to be around our family. My family and his family are all still in Indiana, two hours apart, and um, we've got a big family. So we, we try to center our plans around being around them. Um, and kind of our tradition is we rent a lake house and all the family comes to us and we have our boat there and we all get to just kind of hang out and have fun for, for a good four weeks or so. And then we um, have a home base now in Arizona. So I'm sure we'll be out there a little bit, but it's pretty hot during those months. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a little hot during the, the off season there. Right. That's good. That's good. 
So yeah. how is how is James as a dad I, during the season? I know there's not a lot of time, but obviously yeah. with the advent of Zoom and FaceTime yeah. and all that stuff, yeah. is he pretty involved and you guys get to at least speak to him? And, and the, ad, you know, the beauty is 25, yeah. 20 years ago, you couldn't do that, which things yeah. you can do today as far as at least keeping in touch and seeing each other oh, every yeah. day. Yeah, James is amazing. He, with everything that he has on a day-to-day basis, he always makes time for the kids. And so even on those Monday, Tuesday, Wednesdays, every night, he's FaceTiming the kids right before they are going to bed. Right. Um, I think with him having that extra special year off with, with our youngest, it, it was really hard for him to go back, you know, in that full swing. And then, um, so he just, he, he makes it a point to FaceTime him every night because that age, you know, they grow so much. And um, uh, right now he's out with them. Right now he tries to make it to their soccer games. Um, my son plays flag football, of course. And they have, it's kind of cool. They have like a 49ers kids league that they put the kids on on the same team. So okay. um, he's able to make it to his Friday night games. Okay. So he's playing about 6.30. So his dad's there watching them, coaching them up. Yeah. yeah. Now, do you guys get, I won't say, I mean, I won't, you're probably not celebrities, but people know who you are in these different places that you've been over the years. How has that been for you to kind of, where you're kind of in the spotlight a little bit more where everybody says, Oh, that's Mrs. That's the yeah. coach's wife, or that's you know she's a coach yeah. for the Colts or the 49ers or the Cardinals. How how has that been for you? Yeah. Oh, raising, I, the, raising the kids and all that stuff. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't even. I'm just a normal person like anybody else, you know. Like it doesn't it doesn't phase us at all. Um, you know, some people think it's cool, and some people don't know anything about football. So, you know, it's a good conversation topic sometimes, of course. Right. Uh, my son out of anybody thinks it's the coolest and wants to tell everybody what his dad does, you know? <laughs> right. so. And sometimes you got to say, sometimes you got to tell him, Hey, don't tell everybody. Yeah. Right. That's, that's what my husband's like, come on. You don't get, you don't need to tell everybody all of our business, you know? that's right. That's right. but yeah, it's, I mean, it's cool. You know, it's fun. So. All right. So talk to me a couple more things. We'll get you out of here. Talk to me about um, just, Moving forward, I mean, obviously, are you, do you envision yourself going back into the teaching world? Or are you going to kind of stay at home with the kids while they're, you know, raising the kids? How do you yeah. kind of even see your your future and, you know, forget football, just your future as a, as a, as a growing woman? Yeah, um, that's kind of fluid. Um, I miss being in the classroom. And I did some consulting things for a software company. So working from home, you know, once all of them are in school full time, that might be a possibility. Um, but I'm not sure. Um, we spread them out pretty good. So I've still got about four years before I have them all in school. Right. Um, but right now I'm just really enjoying volunteering at the school. They've got a great school here and it's fun you know, going into the classroom, doing literacy stations and being a part of, of their community and being involved. So. All right. Last questions. What are, what are some, are there any charitable things that you and James really believe in that you guys try to be involved in the different cities? I know Chris Arians is very involved. Yeah with her kids foundation and are there any causes that are really important to you and James that you guys try to contribute to when you can? Yeah, absolutely. Um, being with the Arians, um, we got super involved with CASA and it's, it's very near and dear to our hearts now. Um, it was so special what they did and how they built their foundation there. And right. we kind of got to see that progression over the five years of how that grew and then got to know all the people behind the scenes and um, really special experience for us because eventually we'd love to create our own foundation or support um, the Casa cause. 
for sure. Um, so depending on where we move to, we do support the CASA there. Um, yeah. We were up in, in the Giants, you know, I got connected with them. My mom is actually a CASA. So that's special. Um, and I get to see things from a CASA's point of view through her, right. you know, and it's such a, such an amazing selfless thing that these CASAs do. And I've, I've gotten to see it firsthand through Chris and um, have met some of the children she's mentored, you know, so we, we wholeheartedly support that. And we're so proud of Chris and Bruce for all their work there. Um, we do a lot for, for kids back in uh, my husband's hometown. Um, basically anything that involves youth that we can support or do. Um, in my husband's hometown, the football program, cheerleading program there were hit hard right with the COVID. And um, we didn't want any child to not be able to participate in a sport. So we wanted to fund that program um, for his hometown. Very good. So that nobody had to worry about paying for anything you know so anything we can do for the youth and give back and our school wherever we are our schools we're pretty passionate about that yeah very good well it's been a real pleasure eric i really appreciate the time and uh yeah. keep up keep up keep up living that great life i know you're out in san fran now and who knows where the future yeah. will take you guys and like i said james i'm well aware of james as a coach he does a great job coaching defense and all yeah, that stuff. You. And I know you, I know you're doing a great job raising the family and being very supportive of them. So yeah, thank you so much. I really appreciate the time and uh, yeah, we'll hopefully get to talk down the road. Maybe. All right. Sounds good. Thanks, Jason. Thank you, Erica. Have a great weekend. Good. Go, go 49ers when they play the Seahawks. Seahawks that's right. Beat the Seahawks. The big yeah. one. Yes. There you go. All right. Have a great week and enjoy the game. All right. Thank you. We'll be Bye. right back. We'll be right back. Thanks again for listening to the Powers on Sports podcast. Remember to subscribe, rate, and review on whatever podcast platform you are hearing us tonight. Remember, you can reach out to us on Twitter at Sports. So we'd love to hear your feedback, comments, suggestions for future episodes. And again, thanks for all the support. Remember to share the podcast with your friends and colleagues. And we'd love to see you back next time for the next episode of the Powers on Sports podcast. Have a great week.